Hello, and welcome to a new show, Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estrue, and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FN. For those of you who tuned in last year, you will remember my show, A to Z, God Has Covered Me, a five-minute podcast which examined scripture references in their historical, literary, and theological context. Well, unfortunately, the alphabet is only so long, and we ended up running out of letters uh, just in time for the school year to end. So over the summer, I came up with a new show, Strength and Dignity. This show is really primarily focused on responding to the feminist movement, especially in our culture today, and discussing what biblical femininity and womanhood looks like from a Christian perspective and what that means in relation to the arguments that we're hearing from the feminist side today. So just to give you a little thought behind this podcast before I dive into our first episode, we are in a culture of a changing landscape. Our culture today is promoting this image of strong and dignified women, but in a way that is completely contrary to what is true. The idea behind the name of this show, Strength and Dignity, comes from Proverbs 31, specifically verse 27, which says, She is clothed in strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. So the reason I chose this title and specifically this verse is because our culture is promoting this idea of strong women and independent women. And what I really wanted to do was take that idea and show that women truly are strong and dignified in their womanhood and in their femininity. Because what our culture does is it takes this image of a man and and strength and leadership and just all the privileges, you might say, that men have and say that women have to have those two in order to be strong and in order to be dignified. But that's not how it works. We're given different roles and we have different roles for a reason. And only when we act in accordance with those roles can we be praised and do our strengths and our dignity really come out. So let's just kind of dive into what it means to be strong and what it means to be dignified. The Bible, as I was referring to in Proverbs 31, it says that women are worthy of praise. But what kind of woman does this passage describe? She is not seeking praise. She is not demanding attention. She is not bullying others because she is stronger or more powerful. These attitudes are in fact signs of weakness. They're signs of insecurity. If you think about it, why does a bully at an elementary school bully other kids? He does it for attention and recognition. He does it because secretly he's insecure and he wants people to fear him because that way he's known as a specific type of person. So many people would say that the Bible is misogynistic, um, but in reality, it actually praises women. Especially for the times that it was written, the Bible stood in stark contrast to the way in which culture viewed women. Women were very much viewed as lower than men, lesser than men, and the Bible really shifts that perspective. So in verse 11 of Proverbs 31, it says, the heart of her husband safely trusts her. This is really significant because there is no difference of equality between a man and a woman in this marital relationship, which Proverbs 31 is describing. They are both equal before God. They are equally made in his image, 
But there is a difference of roles, and Proverbs 31 kind of describes that in in what her actions are versus what his actions are. But verse 11 really dives deep into their marriage and shows that he safely trusts her. He, in fact, listens to her, listens to her advice, her counsel, her kindness, her wisdom, and he praises her for that. And that's something beautiful that she has, and it, it belongs to her as a woman that she is willingly sharing with others. Following along in Proverbs 31, verse 17, it says, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. Obviously, we've heard a lot in today's culture about women's sports and being strong, and we'll get into this in different episodes, but in reality, this not not that women shouldn't exercise and be in sports and want to compete. That is good, and that is, of course, beautiful, but what the feminist movement has done is it has completely robbed women of even that possibility by allowing transgender men to come in and compete as women, and it's it's robbing them of the ability to show their strengths in a race or their strength in volleyball or their strength in, in whatever kind of competition it might be because a biological male who is biologically different than a woman is coming in and taking that first place prize because of his biology. He's naturally stronger than, than women. Men have 50% more muscle mass than women. You'll hear me say that often. Our biological design, which is designed by God, is not random. It's it's intentional and it is supposed to fit these roles. And so I'm I'm going kind of off of just the verse 17 that I was discussing, but women are strong and they their strength is something that is beautiful, but it is not supposed to be a strength that is compared with man's strength because they're different strengths. Um, continuing on, verse 26, it says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. I would say as a woman that women have a different perspective than men do on a lot of different things. They understand things in a different way. Their brain is structured differently. They have more more generally a more emotional side. They tend to understand and really listen and maybe be less action-oriented and more just comfort-oriented. That's not generic. It's not necessarily true for every single woman, but it is true that that women speak kindness and they're eloquent. And yeah, I just love the words, on her tongue is the law of kindness. She speaks truth and that's good. And that's why in Proverbs 31, she is praised. She is praised for speaking God's truth. And she does so in a way that magnifies the beauty of her womanhood, not in a way that demands attention upon her and tries to usurp the role of man. And then lastly, verse 30, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So that, again, just goes into the idea of God making different roles for men and women. And a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised because she is honoring the Lord and bringing glory to him through her actions, which are different than men. They're supposed to be different than men because that's the way he designed it. So instead of trying to break outside of these roles, women ought to act in accordance with them. An analogy I like to give is kind of going back to sports. There are rules in sports and there are rules for a reason. So, for example, if in volleyball, let's say that I get upset because I'm 5'3 and I cannot jump above the volleyball net. So I say, that's not fair. We should lower the net or actually let's just remove the net because that's a lot easier for me to hit the ball if there's no net in the way, right? 
Well, that defeats the entire purpose of volleyball. So the net is there for a reason. There are boundaries and guidelines for a reason. And when we simply remove those, we have completely redefined the game of volleyball. So in the same way, the feminist movement is looking at these guidelines, these roles, these boundaries, and saying that they're oppressive and that they're, they're, because they're oppressive, they're not good. When in fact, they are good. And acting inside those boundaries is what ultimately brings the beauty and the harmony of men and women acting in those roles. When we completely throw them off, it becomes ultimate chaos. So what this podcast will do, as you've probably already heard my passion for this, besides just going into Proverbs 31, I intend to bring other biblical passages into this. But what I will mainly do is grab a quote from some sort of feminist outlet and dissect the quote and explain where they've gone wrong and what's happening. So that was kind of the intro. And now I'm just going to jump right into episode one. And I pulled a quote from Ms. Magazine, which is a feminist magazine, and they have on their website something called News and Opinion, which really just kind of cracks me up because, as most people know, news is very different than opinion. News is factual. News is just reporting what happened. Opinion is commenting on the facts and stating what you think is right and wrong about them. But there's no really such thing as news and opinion. It's one or the other. But this website is kind of combining them and saying that they're the same thing. So that's something just to note right off the point before you even hear me talk about the quote. But here, I'm going to read the quote and then I'll go in and I'll dissect it. Here's the quote from Ms. Magazine. It says, When the U.S. Supreme Court's radical majority overturned Roe v. Wade, it destroyed the rights countless women fought and died to win some 50 years ago. But the Dobbs decision went far deeper. It reaffirmed the historical denial of women's equal citizenship. The majority argued the right to abortion is not deeply rooted in U.S. history and tradition, referring to over two centuries ago when women were legally chattel under the doctrine of coverture and could not vote, hold property, or enter into contracts, a time when they belonged not to themselves but to men. So I know that's rather a lengthy quote to follow, especially along while listening, so I'll reference key parts of that quote throughout. But let me just start off with something they said kind of about halfway through. They said it reaffirmed the historical denial of women's equal citizenship. So starting right off the bat, abortion and citizenship are completely unrelated topics. Let's just be clear here. Abortion has nothing to do with citizenship. In fact, they essentially contradict one another. Citizenship protects a person's right to live and participate in a particular country. Abortion robs an innocent child of the right even to breathe outside the womb. In fact, abortion is the cruelest hostile citizenship policy against the most vulnerable. Not only does abortion physically remove a human being from its natural home, it also sucks away life altogether. Because Abortion literally removes a human being from the safest place it could possibly be in. It's worse than deportation policy. It is robbing a human of not only a place to live, but a place to actually breathe and survive. It's robbing them of life. Continuing on, it it uses this phrase, under chattel, 
and the quote belonged not to themselves but to men. So it's saying it's it's referring back to say a hundred years ago when women couldn't vote, when women didn't have the right to vote, and then it said women didn't have the right to hold property or enter tr- or enter contracts, and it says they belonged not to themselves but to men. But let's just clarify that the founders did not view women as less equal than men. This is something I really am going to emphasize, the idea of equality versus equity. You can be equal of the same standing with someone and not have the same equity. And equity means that you have the same exact opportunities, the same exact roles. Those can be different while you're still equal. If we're all made in the image of God, we're of equal standing before God. But for example, I cannot get the pan off of the top shelf in my kitchen because I'm 5'3". My dad can because he's taller than I am. That doesn't mean that we're not equal. That just means that because I'm shorter, I don't have the same possibility, the same equity, the same ability to get that pan that my dad does. That doesn't mean that I'm less important or less equal. So, yes, women did not have the right to vote, but that doesn't mean that the founders viewed women as less equal. The founding words of the document, all men are created equal, that term men is not referring to biological males. It's referring to human beings. That's a very common and natural thing to do in the 1700s and for centuries and and millennial before to refer to common humanity as man instead of human. Men, in fact, greatly recognized the critical role of women and their great minds. There are many letters of women sharing their opinions during the revolution and advising advising their husbands or advising fellow friends or just listening. W- women played a critical role during the revolution of supporting the men who were going off to fight. They were necessary and they were very critical. And let's just clarify that in no way were women not individuals, that they didn't belong to themselves, as this says, and that they were merely satisfaction for sex-seeking, wig-wearing men. That is not the depiction that we should have of the 1700s or of ancient times. Yes, there was cruelty and there, there was sin. There was sin involved in men and women relationships, as there's sin involved in all areas of life because we are fallen. And so I'm not saying that things did not exist or things did not happen, but let's not generally paint a broad brush and say that men completely abused women and that women were not independent and didn't belong to themselves, but only belonged to men. So those are my two points just kind of pulling out of their quotes. So now let's just go into kind of a little bit of history of how we got here and why, why are they making these claims? So, many women fought for women's right to vote. In first-wave feminism, they fought for equal representation. But those women, most of them were also wives and mothers. And most of them were not at all imagining where our world is today. For example, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, she was a faithful Christian wife and mother of seven. She lived during the early to mid-1800s through the Civil War and died in the early 1900s. Um, She was an abolitionist and a human rights activist, and she was also, as we would now deem her, a feminist in first wave feminism. She fought for women's right to vote, but she was a mother, like I said, she was a mother of seven. She was a faithful wife. She believed in the beauty of womanhood and in the roles of womanhood. But in stark contrast to that, let's consider another woman of a little bit later, but close to that time, Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger 
which I'm sure you are familiar with that name. She is the founder of Planned Parenthood. She was a first wave feminist. And her idea of feminism was really especially connected with abortion. She had this grand idea of sterilization in order to breed the fittest. Very much an evolutionary based idea. And she I'll, I'll be frank, she was completely racist. The, the reason behind her idea of abortion was that she wanted to eliminate races and keep the most superior. So basically what happened with the feminist movement is this Margaret Sanger idea was kind of, it captured the push for equality that was good that Elizabeth Cady Stanton supported and it totally disregarded the recognition of true and significant differences between men and women. And that's how we got to where we are today. It was kind of almost this like weed in the feminist movement, in the first wave feminist movement that completely took over and led us to where we are today. Let's just go into today as we wrap up. Is the feminist movement today really pro-women? Well, I would like to argue that no, it is actually completely anti-woman and it is tearing apart, if not already torn apart, the beautiful role of womanhood. Womanhood is beautiful and it's distinct. Women bring talents and they have things to bring that men cannot. But one of the great proponents of second wave feminism, Betty Friedan, called the home where many women were living and serving and serving as mothers and wives, she called that place a domestic concentration camp. Yes, you heard me correctly, a domestic concentration camp. Betty Friedan said that women were oppressed and that being a mother was oppressive. Being a wife was oppressive. And that's kind of what took on second wave feminism. Second wave feminism really sprung out of her book, The Feminine Mystique, in which she called women to rise up and kind of called them to action to fight against these oppressive bonds, especially of being in the home. So, Today, in our work environment, I'm going to quote some statistics from live action reports. Today, they surveyed 3,000 employers, and it showed that 35% offered pay maternity leave, which dropped from 20 in 2020, it was 53%. That is a significant drop. So only 35% of companies offer women paid maternity leave. That sounds a little bit oppressive to me. And why has it dropped? Why was it 53% in 2020? Well, let me tell you, it's because of abortion. Hulu cut the parental leave from 20 weeks to eight weeks. That's a 60% reduction. And Disney announced that in June, it will support any employees traveling across state lines to access abortion. So basically this drop for payment in maternity leave or parental leave is connected to the Dobbs ruling of abortion. And instead they're saying, okay, we will support and pay your access to abortion. We'll cover that, but we won't cover 20 weeks paid maternity leave for you to be at home raising your child after having a, having a baby. A quote from Live Action says, As the market forces have shown, it is far less expensive to pay for and facilitate abortions than it is to have world-class maternity leave policies. That's a quote from Live Action. Let's let's just be clear. Abortion is good for business. Non-access, like no access to abortion is bad for business. This is definitely a business. I mean, we've said you've heard probably the the term that planned parenthood is a business. They are trying to make money. They are not trying to help women. They are literally trying to make money off of killing their children. 
A quote from Lori Todd Smith, she was a former director of the U.S. Department of Labor and Women's Bureau. She said, women don't need to believe the lie that politicians and now corporations are telling them that motherhood is a death sentence for a happy life and a stable career. On the contrary, I'll take the smarts, worth ethic, tenacity, and EQ of a working mom any day over the woke elite sitting around in a boardroom playing politics with the world's greatest economy. So basically what Lori Smith is saying here is that women who are mothers and stay and choose to stay and work at home and support their family, they are not less smart, less brilliant, less creative. That's not at all what it is. In fact, motherhood is exhausting. It is a self-sacrificing job every single day. And it is just as important as a person working in a boardroom. She continues on. This isn't just about abortion. It's about politics. If corporate America is going to start a war on motherhood, it's our job to fight back. And that begins with calling corporate abortion policy what it is, anti-women bigotry. So that's the last quote I have, but it's true. The abortion industry says that it's seeking to help women. But in fact, these statistics, this lowering of paid parental leave shows that it is doing the exact opposite. Let me just end with a little bit of some encouragement as you listen to this podcast. I just pray that you would rejoice in whatever place God has set you in. Um, His design is not cruel. It is not oppressive. It is beautiful and it is harmonious. Live for him and live for his glory, whether you're a man or a woman. That's all I have for today. Thanks for listening to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estruth and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.